Hey, you, Prime members, you can listen to Three Little Words ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. This podcast is brought to you by Quorn, the nation's favourite meat-free brand. Quorn is a great partner for this show because now, more than ever, we should all be thinking about the environmental impact of the food that we all eat. For each podcast, Tony gives us a fact from our sponsor, Quorn. I do, John, and I'm calling those facts, those Quorn facts, I'm calling them quacks. This week's quack is corn is made using the same method as making beer fermentation it's said that corn keeps the solids and recycles the liquid vice versa for beer obviously or you'd be uh... yeah well it makes you wonder don't it? Wait, wait. so they keep the solids and recycle the liquid yes so does the, is there going to be a corn beer that's a thing my best guess would be no <laughs> we'll leave that hanging <laughs> we'll leave that for the listeners yeah, to decide yeah, yeah. So if you're going vegan, vegetarian, or just cutting down on meat a bit, you'll find Quorn's a great option. They've got so many different products, from cocktail sausages to turkey-style kebabs. There's something for everyone. Yeah, definitely. And I know because they're all in my fridge. Hello, I'm John Bishop, and this is Three Little Words. The idea is that each guest picks three words that mean something to them. They bring them in, and we use them as a basis to have a conversation about their life. I'm here with Tony Pitts, who's a mate of mine, an actor and a writer who's obsessed with words. And we are together going to engage on this little journey. How are you doing, Tony? I'm all right, John Bishop. How are you? In yourself? In myself. Yeah. Well, I'm recovering from the fact that you stayed at mine this uh, weekend. Uh, I wondered if that would be tough. Yeah, so. you stayed at mine this weekend and it was brilliant <laughs> up until <laughs> bedtime when you insisted on a particular type of hot chocolate. Right, right. Formulation what? that doesn't exist. Right, no. When you say I insisted on a particular type of chocolate, I, my main concern that it wasn't hot chocolate with 19 spoonfuls of chocolate in it which seemed to me excessive. Uh, yeah, you know, that came, the 19 spoonfuls came after the first attempt, which was hot chocolate that you insisted be made with chocolate protein powder mm. so that you were having hot chocolate, mm. but also also <laughs> you were having hot chocolate <laughs> in a healthy way in yeah. your own head, yeah. even uh, though you dropped some yeah. brandy in it. My question to you would be, should two grown men take over 45 minutes to make hot chocolate and brandy? And my answer to that would be no. No. shouldn't. No. And no. also... And then also, it's a case of a And, and also, also not make hot chocolate and yeah. brandy that then couldn't be drunk. Right. So, so both of them got thrown away anyway. We'll move on in a minute. <laughs> Right, first of all, Tony, you are a writer and actor, and before we introduce our first guest, the the important thing is that we've both came up with this concept of an idea in discussion how important words are. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash wondery and use code Wondery for twenty percent off your first purchase. Oh. Sure. So so just gives a brief outline of 
the importance of of words in your world. Okay. Because well, as an actor, it's interesting because we've got an actor coming on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the first thing to say would be that uh, the idea behind this is that life teaches us what words really mean. I think that we can use words like loss and love and when we're young, but not really until you've lived those words do you fully appreciate them. By nature, communication's everything to me, and I think having a good command of language, he says as he stumbles through another incoherent sentence, <laughs> is uh, a We've just lost <laughs> that, yeah, listener. We've lost both come, of come them. Come back, come listener. Here. Come, <laughs> honestly, God, Tony's yeah. not that boring. Come yeah, yeah. back. <laughs> He's got more than that. Yeah. Yeah, give me time. It's going to be golden. <laughs> well, it's time to introduce our guest. Our guest is Rachel Shenson. Uh, her short film, The Silent Child, for which she won an Oscar in 2018 as the best live action short film at the Academy Awards, which is an amazing thing, which I have to talk to you about a lot in a bit. It's the story about a, a young deaf girl called Libby and it's inspired by real-life events because, as Rachel said, when you did your acceptance speech, there are millions of children all over the world living in silence. Rachel, I know you're also an ambassador for the National Deaf Children's Society. Beyond all of that, you're a writer, you're an actor, you've been in everything... From, well, you've been from Hollyoaks to the Academy Awards, which is one hell of a journey that I can't think... Off the top of my head, anyone else has even come close to. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Hello, Thanks. Rachel Shenton. Hello, Tony Pitts. Hello. Now, you know each other quite well, don't you? Rachel plays my daughter in the remake of All Creatures Great and Small. So that's how I know Rachel. Oh, very good. Yes. And which creature are you, the great or the small? <laughs> I'm, I, I play um, Helen Alderson, who's the vet's wife. Yeah. But not yet. In which she wears be. a selection of lovely little L jumpers. Lovely little jumpers, yeah. So, obviously, we'll come on to your words in a minute and we'll go right through, but I, I have to ask you about, about that moment because there'll be very, very few Oscar winners that we ever get on this, this show. That moment, first of all, when you were nominated for, for the Oscar, which I, I, I know when you see the short film, anyone downloads the short film, it's actually at the end of the film. Is it? Yeah, yeah, and in if you download what I did is like you you can go on to uh, I can't remember it was Netflix or one of the others and you you get all of the short films oh, of that it. year, and then in the credits of yours it's just got you seeing that you've been nominated for the Academy Award and the reaction of all, all of the crew, which is yeah, but the film itself you make the film it's crowdfunded. You do it for 10,000 quid, your husband directs it, you write it, you, you star in it. When you're embarking on something like that and you end up with an Academy Award, everyone goes, well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Mm. But when you're starting on something like that and you're asking friends and neighbours to chip in, why on earth did you think it was worth doing? <laughs> um, I, thought it was, I thought it was worth doing just simply because of the story you know I, I'm involved in the deaf community and I'm continually frustrated with the access barriers that, that deaf children face and I think I was living in LA at the time the show that I was in was about to end and I rang my husband who's then my fiance and said I've just read this article once again about this deaf child who's left school with no qualifications and I was yes I was like I think it'd make a really good film and he and he said you should write it but I didn't really think I was a writer well I still don't think I'm a writer but 
and he said R just write it and I did and but but because I thought it was important I thought if we did well then we might have something that was good enough to show at primary schools as like an educational tool yeah. so at no point did I ever think it would I didn't even think it was conceivable to get to the Oscars I didn't even know how that would possibly happen so just finishing the film and being proud of it and thinking this is something we can use as an educational tool that's what drove it really did you put it into festivals yeah, that's how, that's how we did it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it gathered some momentum and ended up getting a. Did he win th something before the Oscar nomination? Yeah, because you, you so you have to win a, a qualifying film festival. Sure. In order to be submitted right to the sure. to the Oscars, so we won at um, Rhode Island International Film Festival, and then you could just submit you you should could just send your material off to the Academy, and that's just like doesn't feel like that's a real thing like no. you send it off and you see the stamp for the Academy and you're like oh, that's mental that never happened but yeah. you know it was like it was nice that we could even do that. And yeah. it's nice that, you know, it, it, there's there's a role within the Academy as well for short film. That yeah. they, they They have that bit because it's a huge access point for a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. It's very much a stepping stone to, in, into the industry and even sort of more established actors, directors, writers and things still drop back and do shorts because it's just a nice way of, of telling a short story. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it's, it's, like, it's like as a comedian, sometimes you know, a short joke is the hardest joke to craft. But, but if you can yeah. do that... Well, you have to be concise, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That's, mm. yeah, yeah, that's, I've uh, got to ask you this, though, because I watched... Uh, I saw all, all, all the references when I knew you were coming on about the fact that you you, you s did sign language in your acceptance speech because mm. you said you were, you were going to do that to the girl who played in it and so on. You yeah. made a promise, which was a lovely thing. So I watched your acceptance speech, which means that I saw it get announced that you'd won the Oscar. And then the camera's falling. And it looked like you were in some room <laughs> out in the corridor. You were, you were in the main foyer sat next to Will Smith. You're like in a cabinet somewhere. But everybody says that. But what happens when you're in a smaller category? Like you sat right at the back yeah, for, for yeah. most of the ceremony. By right the kitchen. Right, right, yeah, right, yeah. right by the cleaners yeah, at the back. Yeah. And then halfway through, because we were like 15th on the on the, the the nominations list, and halfway through, somebody come, well, you're sat with the, with the other five yeah. people who have been nominated at the same time, sat together. Somebody comes down and says to the couple next to us who were nominated, "Can you come and sit at the front?" Oh. So we went, "Oh well, that's it now. It's done. Like they've obviously won. That's that's fine. We're having a lovely time anyway, and that's." fine so they moved to the front and then a few minutes later they said can you move to the front so what they do is they then take everyone in your category and scatter you closer to the front in whatever seats were available and we just happened to be in a little sort of side bit off the stage but when I've, I've watched it back and it does look like we're not in the room it looks like you're yeah. watching it from yeah. somewhere else yeah. and then they bring you on we were at the side and you were very, very both you and Chris very very composed my thought was, I mean, it's the writer to get an Oscar's Gideon, a Gideon thought, but the must that did it feel surreal to, to, the, to the point where you actually don't feel the nerves or the excitement because it's surreal, right? It's, it's exactly it's, that. Yeah, exactly that because it is that. That's a pinnacle. I mean, I can't really remember it that much. Even you just sort of. So, so even as a, I mean, I, people talk to me that they, they'd say you've worked with Spielberg or you won an Oscar. It's it's a shorthand for excellence right and getting to the very top of what you got into this to do yeah oh, which yeah, is yeah. just bizarre because yeah, yeah it's a bit, there's a most bizarre feeling and I was up there and I, I just looked down for a minute and wish I hadn't because I 
locked eyes with Meryl Streep at the front, oh, and I thought, God, done. this is just yeah. We've all done Meryl's life. Does she give you the, every time you go, Meryl, will you it's, stop staring? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop yeah. it. It's, it's a it's a stoke thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was it was very out of body and and so I got a few. Oscar-related question before we get into your first word, but because I've never been in that the opportunity to ask somebody who's won an Oscar, where do you keep it? It's on our bookshelf at the moment. We've got two. We've got one each, so they're they're on our bookshelf like bookends. They're not. If there's any burglars knocking about, there's copies on their bookshelf. You've got two. Yeah, because he best direction and best. No, so it's best live action short, but you just put the creative leads on there, and obviously, right, right, yeah. Then what happens when you've won? So so all of the others, yeah. some would call them nominees, others would call them losers. losers. <laughs> they're, they're, they're shuffled off. Are you then, are you amongst the elite for for a night for 48 hours for the rest of your life? Are you, do you enter a realm that you, oh, things are open to you that way before? Uh, I mean, I suppose yes and no is the answer to that. It, cha- it changes everything and nothing, uh, mm. bizarrely. But um, straight after, the the immediate 24 hours are just bonkers, really, because we were really lucky and the British press were so good to us and, like, had really sort of championed the story all the way through. So everybody wants a bit an interview afterwards. And, every- and I just remember winning and then you walk behind the curtain and being quite underwhelmed by what was behind there because it was like just a typical backstage with like boxes and crew and stuff and you're walking through the Oscars and then as I was walking Kobe Bryant high-fived us both and said now you need to go and have some babies and I thought God this is like number one how how sexual is Kobe Bryant to to look at you and go shit I had a baby How does he know you haven't had babies? We'd spoken to him before, in fairness. Uh, We'd spoken to him before. And that was the thing you spoke to Kobe Bryant about. Listen, Kobe, we're trying. It's just not working. Not at all. Tell Meryl to stop staring. (laughs) Will you you stop staring? Because we're trying to make babies. She's putting us off. No. But before that, we'd had a conversation because he was always off coaching his kids, you know, basketball team or whatever and not being able to make these academy events anyway. That's what we're talking about. But the the next sort of 12 hours are bonkers because everybody wants an interview and it's it's quite odd and, yeah. and you stand in front of a big line like a wall of press that are all asking you questions it's so so intimidating and the weird thing is people go so what are you doing next yeah. Yeah. and I'm like whoa we've just spent making babies I'm going to make Kobe's coming up Kobe's coming up I thought hang on I've just spent like 10, and then, and 10 then, months trying to make finishes. a short film that I'm really passionate about and I want to tell that yeah but it, there is sorry Tony oh, it's mate. probably a, the same question mm. you know when it finishes mm. is there a little bit of you go no matter what I do next that's the best I'll be yeah yeah oh dear that's yeah. it yeah very much so and oh, then you have to, not as miserable and then you have to get, that, no, I was going to follow it up with yes that's what you think and then you sort of past it and go well that yeah. was just that thing that happened with that short film that and thing. and you just have to wait for the next project that you really care about and not we were never driven by an accolade anyway we never no. set out to do that so yeah Rachel you brought in three words that means something to you what's your first word it, the first word is death now just to clarify because I know Tony's has been forewarned about these words I don't know what they are are you talking deaf as in deafness for hearing or deaf as in dead d-e-a-f Okay, D-E-A-F. Yeah. That deaf. Yeah, that deaf. Well, that, yeah. <laughs> well one's deaf and one's death. 
But this is the importance of words, because to it's me, it's, it's, when it's, you say them in my accent, yeah, death is right, death. Yeah. There's, 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 see, the, there's no difference. There's never been any ambiguity around that or confusion in my mind. Now there is. <laughs> and yeah. Now there the, is. The, honestly, so, to me, death yeah. and death, yes. th- they're just the same. Right, I think we'll have a talk about that later. On, <laughs> the, the, clearly, why I'm not an actor. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so death is. I've done a bit of digging around, and I'll start off with the etymology where the word originated, uh, and it's in Old English, "deaf," meaning lacking the sense of hearing, and it can also or did also mean empty or barren. And then Middle English is "deaf." And I think that pronunciation is still used in Scotland, if I'm right. I'll be corrected on that. Then the usage, the modern word deaf has its etymological root in, in Old English. And um, and it can be traced back to the Middle Ages. Approximately around 1200, the word was pronounced with the word reef until the 18th century. Finally, a couple of interesting facts. First one is uh, British Sign Language isn't English with hand signs. It's a different language with its own grammar and sentence construction. And then finally, the telephone, originally created by Alexander Graham Bell, was meant to be a hearing aid type device for his deaf wife and mother. For you, Rachel, obviously there's a lot of history behind the word and an understanding of it. What made you pick that word? So my dad was deaf. Um, he lost his hearing through illness. He had um, throat cancer and huge doses of chemotherapy and radiotherapy and he lost his hearing. How old was he then and how old were you? He was in his mid-60s and I was 12. And I think that was the first time... Still, at, at 12, you still think your dad's like a superhuman. Mm. Mm. Like he's still like a superhero. Mm. So I didn't see him as being... I didn't see him as having any kind of vulnerability. I'd never seen that before and that was the first time. Even through cancer, he was... A, you know, as a total hero and sort of sucked it up and, and got on with it. But with deafness, that was the first thing that I saw really mm. rattled him so, because he needed help, he needed to uh, ask for help. How did that impact your dad losing it? I, I mean, I'd, I'd never heard of being, becoming deaf through chemotherapy. I didn't know that, that was... So through chemotherapy and radiotherapy, his diagnosis happened quite late. And the prognosis wasn't great. It was, it was, there was a sort of 50-50 chance and he'd had huge doses of it. And when you have any kind of chemotherapy and radiotherapy, there's obviously a whole list of things that might go wrong and nine times out of ten they won't. And it just so happened that obviously it's throat cancer, so ear, nose and throat are all connected and that was just one of the sensory losses. And um, and it happened quite quickly and he dealt with having cancer so much better than he dealt with being mm. deaf. Because ultimately it's emasculating, right, for a man in, of that age and that era that just suddenly couldn't do the things that he's done all his life. And I mean, Dad was a great pianist. Music was a big part. Oh. To always play music in the house, those things were difficult then, and so it really just it changed everything. And I saw him hold back, and I guess like he was always the one that would organise things. He'd always be telling stories, always be that kind of character, and then he would just withdraw a little bit. Yes, and yeah. I re- and I remember that that was a visceral experience that I remember watching that happen. And so. How, was the chemotherapy successful? Was he around for a long time as a deaf person? Yeah, chemotherapy was successful in the throat cancer. He was cured of throat cancer. Um, he wasn't. Uh, he he passed away through something unrelated two years later. So he lived the last two years of his life deaf. So that was for you a very formative time from twelve to fourteen, mm. with a father who who'd been a a different man mm. for all of your life up to that point. Yeah. 
and then through reasons that are not his own was mm. less able to communicate with you how at this point i am i'm assuming you hadn't learned sign language and he probably never learned sign language in the time that he had how did you communicate with him during those those last years you're right i didn't learn sign language until after and neither did he i don't know if he ever would it was easier at home when it's just my mum and I and him. Um, I've got no brothers and sisters. And he, he's obviously knew us, knew our voices. And so he could lip read quite well because mm. he understood our lip patterns because we'd always, obviously we'd always been around each other. So that wasn't as bad at home communicating with him. It was more going out when there's exterior noise or when there's more people that he had to try and focus on. That was almost impossible. And then calling like, he used to have one of those massive sort of motorbike, like Motorola mobile phones mm. on, his, on his way home. And obviously he could see it ringing, mm. but wouldn't be able to hear he's on the mm. phone. So he'd just shout, I'm on my way home, mm. <laughs> and then put it down and, and things like that. And p- playing the piano and dancing, we used to do all, and that all stopped. So communication mm. at home didn't change so much, but it was more when we were out and, you, and in the car, couldn't speak to each other in the car. And when we were in groups, he would just try not, he would just try not to get involved because it was so, imba- it was embarrassing to have to keep asking ask someone you, to Yeah, I was just going to say to you, did it feel, I mean, it's a perfect storm, I think, for it to happen at the age, that it, psychologically for a 12-year-old girl, for a father, for the dynamic to change, right? I yeah. mean, uh, just a complete vault farce and then you've... Uh, did did it feel like a guilty secret when you were out and about? Is it something you wanted to protect him from from when you were out yeah. amongst people? Yeah, yeah, very much so, because people don't understand deafness. That's no. the thing. It's often so misunderstood. It's silent. You can't see it. It doesn't kill you. So mm. it's really hard to get anyone to to understand it. And also, this we're talking 20 years ago, so that was even worse then. And I have seen him in situations where he can't hear and has been embarrassed and not wanting to ask again so maybe I would for him or yeah. my mum would and then that in itself is emasculating so mm. he, and so he would then go I'd rather avoid that situation so I'll take myself out and that's what kind of happened so for you as a child or a teenager growing into being a young woman you lose your dad at 14 and the last two years of his life has been difficult to communicate with him due to this deafness. Now, a lot of people will, will then say, right, I'm going to remove myself from that situation. And the the thing that was taken away from me, my ability to communicate with me dad through his deafness is something I want to forget about rather than do what you seem to have done and embraced it and gone, I want to now understand sign language, get involved with the deaf community. Why did you go... In that direction, when I would suspect most people would go in the completely the opposite direction. Well, look, I mean, it really wasn't as a sort of intellectualised decision, if I'm honest. It wasn't, I didn't think of it like that. And in a way, I sort of separated it and I think I compartmentalised to make mm. it a bit easier. And so it had touched my life. And I very much, I remember my dad telling me a story at a train station. He, he was waiting for a train coming home and there's a last minute platform alteration that was an announcement and he missed his train and then he had to try and find somebody to get them to explain to him where the ne- when the next train was and it was difficult because the tannoys and everything was so loud. Because also it would have been difficult because your dad could speak. Exactly. Exactly, so nobody thought there was anything wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think he ended up getting somebody to write it down anyway. And, and my 
introduction into sign language was just right well I'll learn that so that I've got a basic understanding if I ever saw anybody in that situation right and I was like 16 when I started learning and it was also to give me I know something nice to do um grew up in Stoke there wasn't that much to do um to sort of give me give you something nice to do and that's all it was really I didn't expect any of the others all that came after I sort of mm. fell in love with the language got exposed to the deaf community and then the barriers that the deaf community needlessly face and I couldn't look away so it was an accident really I don't think it was anything thought through the cruelty of deafness it seems to me is it's the perfect isolation of it it's the that isolation and when he, for your father to be facing what he was facing and then to have that by necessity the inward turning must have been extraordinarily difficult i think you're absolutely right with the isolation mm. and, and and i think that's what really when i was got involved with the deaf community that's the bit that really that really struck a chord and stopped me going elsewhere or stopped me doing something else i just thought i have to i have to carry on with this really and um, and i consider my dad really lucky because he had a voice mm. so like you just said he could still say what he wanted he couldn't always hear the response and he mm. might have to work his way around that bit but there are children and people that are born without that don't develop a voice so they've got no hearing so they never develop that voice and I just thought they really do live in a world of silence and when I looked into the access barriers and access to everything access to information education mm. all the th all the fundamentals that we take for granted I just thought this is mm. outrageous and it's, the, an, and it's an injustice the WHO figures on deafness in the world show that only 16% of people who have got clinically deficient hearing loss, so hearing loss that would require some form of treatment, only 16% get access to it. So 84% wow. are either removed from it because of systemic structures with the costs and so on, or removed from it due to the fact that, as you say, it's not regarded in the same way as other things as being an illness. In fact, within the NHS, it takes on average 10 years for someone to go for their first examination from the point of diagnosis and that they've got a hearing loss. Mm -hmm. wow. mm -hmm. So when you're taking the other side of things, the congenital deafness of children or, or people who are born into it, yep. it's a completely different environment because... They haven't got a gradual change. They're they're in this this world of silence, and there was a a painful moment, or two painful scenes within within your film that really got me. There was one where the girl Lily is the character, isn't it? She she's in the kitchen, and the whole family's talking and laughing, and nobody's noticing that she doesn't know what's going mm -hmm. on. And then your character gets involved and brings out some communication skills and the, you know, I won't ruin it for anyone else. Then there's another point right at the end where she's in the playground and the whole world's doing it around her mm -hmm. and she's isolated. And both of them are like daggers in the heart to me. Yeah. I think the same and I think my main focus at the moment and has been for a few years is access to education because we look at, and like you've just said, diagnosis often happens too late with children because 90% of deaf kids are born to hearing parents who have no experience of deafness. So when you've got a child and they're not communicating or then maybe they're not the same as the other siblings, possibly your first thought isn't that they're deaf. You might be like, mm, oh, they're just sure, not the same as sure, the other, the other sure, sibling sure. or whatever. So diagnosis happens late 
later and then you're looking at we all know that there's just a few really crucial years of a child's life of brain development like that yes it's so important early on and and if they if they don't get language any language be that spoken or bsl in those few years that can have serious ramifications through school and that's what we see so that's one issue but another issue is just access to education right now in the uk 78 percent of deaf children go to mainstream school with no specialist support in place and then wow. when they get to GCSEs and there's 56% that don't get A to C grades, it's no wonder. Uh, that's extraordinary. So, 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 so no help? No, and the reason... No, no help. Uh, I'm, I'm either being extremely naive or that's horrendous. So what, how did they learn? Exactly. No, really? No, no exactly. Really, so they just attend a mainstream school, sit in the lessons and have no support whatsoever? Yeah, and that... That's... Extraordinary. That's exactly what happens, and wow. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of variables, isn't there? So there's not a one size fits all with deafness. It's not like right that t- that child's deaf. This is exactly what we do. Sure, there are so many varying levels of it, and that's I think that's where the problem lies. And it's just the fact that this is what the whole film was about was to raise the profile of deafness because people don't understand it, people don't know about it. And from my experience, it's not that schools and people aren't willing, it's just they don't know how. Yes. They're not mm. quite sure what to do. Yes. Like, we've seen, you know, with my work with the NDCS, we've seen that there's been a deaf child in school and that school thinks we'll put them at the front of the class. You know, or, or make, we'll make sure that they're at the front of the class and with all the will in the world, it doesn't matter yeah, where they sit. It's inconsequential where they sit and if right. they can't hear, they might they, be at home. They can't hear, yeah. But it's, it seems to me that it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a casual cruelty there because the... They're, they're, they're made to do the, the orthodoxy, which is to attend a school, mm-hmm. but, but all they're doing is, is just, they're just going through the motions, and, the, and actually that's hit me really hard. So you've, but your character in the film is a teacher mm. of a young child who, who's in a hearing family. Mm-hmm. Now, in order to do that teaching and to play that character and you've learnt sign language yourself, Somebody must have communicated with you how a a deaf child receives that information and processes it in the mind when there are no words that they've ever been exposed to. So we were really lucky, use the film as an example, so we were really lucky with the, the little girl that we used. So she, her mum and dad are both deaf, all her siblings are deaf, so um, they only communicate in sign language in their house and BSL was Maisie's first language. And I, I asked that question and he said, where she learns it like you learn speech. And and I said, right, so you do, you just teach her the sign as somebody would teach me a word, right? And she she said, he said, yeah, it's exactly that. And then when I met her little sister who was two, she was signing to me and I said, oh, to her mom, oh, I, don't, I really don't understand what she's saying. And she said, no, you won't. She's just baby babbling. In sign. Oh my oh god! god. <laughs> so That's amazing. But also, the thing is, as well, like with sign language, because because I'm a hearing person, I speak with words. I assume there's a sign for every word, but it's not. It is a, a language, isn't it? It's a totally different language with its own linguistics and its own structure its own and rules. And yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, as I say, this we could be we could be on this. For, yeah, <laughs> well, one thing is saying that sign language on a podcast is not the best form of communication. Depends on the guest. Yeah. So <laughs> deaf, when you've picked that word, is obviously hugely significant, and the passion which you've spoke about its importance to you is is obvious. It's clear. 
and we could talk about that all day but we've asked you to bring in three words what is your second word uh, my second word is loss tony okay explains. yeah uh, okay well etymology is not uh, not a huge amount there um the old english is loss it's just los always associated with ruin and destruction and the origin of the word loss is found in the old english form it was first used in the 12th century and it was invariably synonymous with death and destruction and then i've got a couple of quotes and i think both of them uh, have huge weight and power and the first one is marcus aurelius who said that loss is nothing else but change and changes nature's delight. And then the German philosopher Schopenhauer said that mostly it is loss which teaches us about the worth of things. I'm... Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Making an assumption that this is related to the loss of your father. Hmm. So is that the reason you picked the word or? Yeah, it is. Because I obviously experienced loss as an adolescent. And I think I've processed it and understood it retrospectively. Because when that happens at 14, you're suddenly catapulted into a landscape that's so disorientating and so difficult to understand. It, well, in our culture, we're not great at talking about death anyway. And so I translated that as a 14-year-old as, well, that's something that happens behind closed doors in, sol in solitude. And I don't suppose I, I didn't have conversations and didn't speak about the experience and and, and and nobody else did to me because it's a strange thing when you're an adolescent going through that somebody want people want to protect you I think and it, I think it comes from a good place but it's more like let's do things to make you feel better let's distract yes, yes. you let's do things do stuff do stuff yeah go to yeah. the pictures and go skating you uh, yeah. you said you, you there was no brothers and sisters so mm. as an only child yeah when your father passed there was you and your mum in the house yeah how did your mum cope with it we just put it into context so my um my granddad died of emphysema which is obviously a, a long-term illness so it wasn't a shock and that was my mum's dad and then a few months later my dad died of he had a brain hemorrhage and then a few months after that my nan which was my mum's mum got diagnosed with meningitis and passed away and that was all of our immediate family in less than eight months and it cr it created a fundamental shift in the way that I think yeah and 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 actually that's something that I'm thankful for as an adult it's a, it's a very healthy it's a healthy mindset to have as an adult but as a 14 year old it's unusual how do you mean made a healthy shift 
I was aware of the transience of it all at 14. I, I, I understood it. The, the, the things that life doesn't teach you until you're much, much older. Mm. Uh, and some people never learn that, the transients. Mm. But you, as a child, had it immediately. Immediately. And I really understood it. Yes. I really understood. And it can make you reckless, uh, but it can also make you... It can. One of the things I was... I did as you were talking was that it's a, there's a kind of alchemy though isn't there it's, there certainly is in your life because you've turned all that pain all that shit into gold you've you've the, the, we went back to the quote about lost about being changed and it you you navigated it in a whatever way you did and it it, it fundamentally changed the path of your life well completely changed the path of your life right yeah and and as and, and as a consequence of all that pain look at all the good the good things that have come from that and i think that's what i meant when i said that i'm thankful for it because when you understand the transience of it and just the temporiness of everything mm. there's so much collateral beauty that comes with that there's so much and i'm saying this i've been able to intellectualize it retrospectively like i said i probably wouldn't have had this opinion at 14 i couldn't have been i wouldn't i didn't have the I didn't have the emotional toolbox to deal with it then. But now I can see that there's just so much beauty in n understanding that nothing lasts forever. And it, it, the gratitude and the, and the, appreci the appreciation of moments. Yeah. Did your mum have the same view? My mum does have the same view. Did either of us at the time? No. Probably not. No. Probably not. No. Um, it, was just, it just felt like a, a tsunami of emotion. That, that was really difficult to navigate. So when you've picked the word loss, most people would see that as a painful word, as as being without something. But it's the way you've talked about it. You're you've gained, you've grown. It's you're you're with something because you lost something. Yeah. That loss again, you translate into something positive with your engagement with the deaf community. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Why put it in that place? Why not go and open a donkey sanctuary? Why not do something? Because there's obviously time. A, there's obviously an emotional desire for you to be positive. There's, there's an aura that comes from you, which is quite rare, mm. I would say. I've not met many people no. for the first time in the way that I've I've met you properly now, and and sense that I'm in the room with somebody who who has an aura of you, 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 your, your middle name is right. You've got an aura of joy about you. 
that's just how it's coming across. And mm. because you've taken something that could crush a lot of people, that could give them an excuse and a reason to go in different directions. And you've took it and you've turned it. And what strikes me is you've turned it not for you, but for others. And that, 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 that's the story of a beautiful soul to do that. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, no, no it's just, I, I couldn't agree more. So John said, Joy, is your fundamental nature was revealed by those events. Yeah, I guess so. It's a, it's a, when you look at things like that and when something is, when your relativity framework is shifted so drastically, when, at, like at that age, I think you just look for the diamonds, you just look for the bit, I guess, that, that there has to be some joy, there has to be something that's fun. And maybe my mum plays a big part in that. I mean, I marvel at my mum's resistance mm. sometimes and my mum's resilience. Do you think this idea of, of understanding that life's not permanent, understanding that we're here for each other now, so we're going to make the most of things, do you think that is one of the reasons that you were prepared to go into one of the most insecure professions that there is, and be an actor. Yes. Yeah, I think that often. Yeah. Because I understand, I, I suppose I... What's the worst that can happen, right? Right. And What's that's, the worst that, that could, you genuinely know? What and, I really kn- and I really know that. And I really... Things bother me. Look, I'm a human. Like, things obviously bother me. But I, honestly, they don't bother me for that often and for long. Because I just think, well, it's... You know, we're not here... We're not here long and we're here to experience it all and we're supposed yeah. to feel it and you're supposed to feel all those things and, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't matter. It, yeah. Enjoy yourself, it's later than you think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, that was your second word. So far we've had death and loss. What would be your third word? Phobia. Phobia? Phobia. Oh, no. Okay. Right, well, I thought this... Uh, Tony's uh, away now. Well, well, actually, I'm not. I'm actually... There's not as much... There's not as much there. Phobia is from uh, the Greek phobos, part of uh, Greek mythology, and it's fear, panic, terror, outward show of fear, object of fear or terror, uh, originally meaning flight uh, in the sense of Homer, uh, but it came the common word for fear and the notion of panic flight interesting well i found it interesting the uh, the proto-european root of it uh, and the norse root of it uh, f- uh, for phobia is beck like a stream the psychological sense is an abnormal or irrational fear of something it can be an aversion it could be a, a, it can be in a morbid fear and then there are specific simple phobias and complex phobias Fears of uh, animals, fears of heights, fear of da, 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 da. the common ones are the ones seems seem common to me within my group of acquaintances are claustrophobia uh, and fear of heights. I have both of those; they're my two phobias, and I can trace both of them back really clearly. What claustrophobia was being put in a cupboard at school, uh, probably deserved it. Fear of heights, I remember really clearly at about the age of four, leaning over a precipice in Sheffield and everything stopped and I thought I could fall. And once I had that realisation, I never lost that phobia. So what's your phobia? Needles. Mm. But it's very specific. It's not... I'm wishing I'd picked another word already. Yeah. Um, it's not like a jab if you're going to have a jab when you go on holiday or whatever, it's more like a blood test 
or uh, the removal of blood yeah like the removal of you're taking that out of my body just doesn't feel right <laughs> so i think i'm scared of oh, i should have picked another is one. this uh, always this is before your dad went into hospital yeah. not re not related to anything to do with that no i don't think so and, and it's not neat like if you saw the needle not on the, the waist top you're not bothered no. it's a needle entering your body and taking something away it's not even entering my body because i don't mind a jab it's just the taking something out so it's not pain it's not pain no so you shake it like no <laughs> everybody who's frightened of needles it seems uh, it's always the pain it's the pain that they fear whereas yours you think there's something not right it's a sensation it's a sensation because i have had the same sensation when i had an injection in my gum and i could feel the stuff oh. it's, it's just the sensation of <laughs> it's the sensation of stuff going in or stuff coming out yeah <laughs> yeah now, That's if somebody's just yeah. started listening to yeah. this, We're in a they, they've missed a hell yeah. of an emotional yeah. journey before yeah, we have. got to this bit. Yeah, and I'm glad we've uh, <laughs> we've landed on this irrational. It, 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 if you, I mean, is this a life limiting phobia? Do you, do you worry about it? Is it the kind of thing? Because again, within the profession, if you get cast in something, you've got to go and have medicals. You think, oh, I, I, I just don't want to go near it. Oh yeah, like yeah, can, but but but. But I suppose, like what you've just said, by nature, I understand that things don't last. So I know it that that it that it's a finite amount of time that yes. it's going to be overwhelming and terrible. And it's bizarre because I, I treat it like I don't like running, but I love having ran. So after I've had a, <laughs> so after I've had a blood test, that's good. I, I, what a great philosophy! Yeah. So after I've had a blood yeah. test, I feel a huge sense of achievement because i've done something that's was really difficult for me and i know it's going to be over so 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 dr john says to you when you leave here rachel you're going to go and have to have some blood taken what happens to you when does it happen just talk me through that let's say you've got to go through into the next room and have a blood test now a blood remote what happens I would make an excuse and say I wouldn't do it now because I'd I'd feel like I'd oh, no, you've got to. <laughs> I'd mentally prepare myself. I, I don't know. It's really embarrassing. This is. I wish I hadn't picked this. But um, I mean, I lose all sense of <laughs> of everything that's that's rational. Like it goes out of the window. It's completely nonsensical, and yeah. I understand that that what it is. And I know that you've got. Usually, I'm having it done for something to do with my health, right? Like it, you're supposed to, and it's a normal thing. And I'm aware of how insane it feels when it's happening but I've no control over it at all and it's like I've never had anybody hold a gun at my head thankfully but I feel as scared as I imagine I would do if there was an immediate threat to my life that is I've had someone point a gun at me and I never thought oh I'd rather have a can you just put the gun away and give us a give us a give us a shot well not a shot but yeah yeah uh, yeah, I can't. I've got no control over it. I don't know. So, what so happened. what's happening? Well, what's happening there is it's. I think John and I were. I think we'd had a chat this weekend about the boxing ring. There's the there's the old part of bra of your brain, which is basically survival, and there's a new part of your brain. So the the new part of your brain is saying, "I'm a blood test. I need to have it done. I don't fancy it, but I've got a the old part of your brain. You've triggered something in there. That pathway has been triggered where it's it's an existential threat almost, and it's got things have got conflated and mixed within there and and it seems to me i know that the traditional response to phobias is is gradual exposure towards the thing that you fear the most 
and that seems to be the only uh, psychologically the the thing that's guaranteed to get results is that you keep introducing yourself constantly desensitize yourself to the actual thing you're looking at me like there's no way that's ever going to work right <laughs> but th- th- i think that's what's happening is that the it is irrational and you're observing yourself being irrational mm. which i think compounds the phobia because you know it's nuts yeah you know it's not it's, it, it, as you said and who knows better than you that it's go- it's going to be all right yeah but in that moment but also with the exposing yourself to it i was quite poorly about five or six years ago and um, i had to have blood tests every couple of months for years and I'm still no uh, yeah I'm still i think i think the way they do it would be to have like a hundred no oh, okay, I, I, okay. No, I think the way to do it is to have a nurse with a needle in one corner yeah. and a fellow with a gun in the other yeah. <laughs> which one is the biggest yeah, threat yeah. get over yeah. yourself girl yeah, yeah yeah so listen we've had your three words which have been Telling and informative and wonderful in death, loss and phobia. One of the things that we ask guests to do is also bring a word that they would willingly never hear again. Yeah, your room 101 of words. Which word would that be? Woke. Oh, don't. I don't think... Now, is it the word woke or is it what it describes? I don't think it's either of the above. I think it's every time I've heard heard someone say it i've thought you're not no. <laughs> the no. people that i've no, you're heard not. you're a sensorious identitarian is what you are the people that i've heard yeah. use the word woke i've thought well, yeah. you're not but yeah. um i don't mind the word so much and understand its its meaning i suppose it's yeah but it's it's a new word like let's be honest about Two months ago, it wasn't no, everything, about. Now, now every, everything we all agreed on two months ago suddenly is <laughs> now we, we don't agree on. I might have to take a back seat here because I think we are now living the the culture we're living in now, the Olympics of, of victimhood and, and, and everything being problematized, being problematic, finding problems everywhere, particularly the life experience that you've had, I would find immensely frustrating. It's just a way of viewing things. You can either view things as problematic and uh, to be addressed, or we can just do what we always do. And, and also, the thing about wokeness is, it is literally the most divisive thing that we can do. It's yeah, just but, but you're saying that. Like, like, woke people are people who are supposed to care about everything, let's say, mm. to the nth degree. Is it that that you don't like, or is it, or is it, is it the label being attributed to people doing nice or liberal things by a, a conservative press? Uh, yeah, that probably, and um, and and I think I just don't know why we need the word for it. I don't. I thought we would. Yeah. I think it's to be awake to injustice in society. Well, I think that's a lovely sentence. I'm fine with that. Like, why do we need a word for that? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't yeah, think yeah. it was see, needed. See, if like, someone was to turn around and go, God, look at him being awake to injustice in society. What a knobbed. But it doesn't mean it that, does it? It doesn't work, it, does no, it? No, but no. if you say, oh, look at him being all woke, yeah. then you've got an insult. In yes. my experience, I've seen it used a lot in the sort of virtue signalling that we see on social media. And so that's people are doing it to, to be seen rather than doing it because it's innate. I guess so. I mean, that's what that's what virtue signaling is, yes. And I feel that the way that it's used, I just don't see that it's needed. That's what I think. I don't see that the word is needed. I understand what you've just said. Yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful to be like some weight to the injustice in society. But I feel that 
it's just un- it's just unnecessary. And every time I've heard the per- every person that I've seen yes. use it, I've thought you know. Well, the opposite. <laughs> the opposite. Well, the, the, you are the you are the opposite. Yeah. yeah. And it's definitely definitely a way we can get rid of because, as I say, last yeah. year it wasn't even being used, so yeah. it's done. You know, if you if you were playing Scrabble, yeah. if you were playing Scrabble <laughs> in 2015. And they put woke on the board. People have gone, that's not a word. You're yeah. not having that. Yeah. 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 You can't just make that up. Now it's just become part of our, our language. So, mm-hmm. yeah. listen, Rachel, I've genuinely enjoyed this time that we spent together. I've learned a lot and I've felt I've been in a, in a room that's uh, better because you've been in it and, and you've shared something with us that not many people would have gone through and come out the other side with such a positive view of life so thank you yeah thank you thank you very much for having me thank you wow so I think that was uh, extraordinary John yeah Uh, I I have to be honest I mean you you obviously knew Rachel before I didn't um, and I meant what I said when I was talking so there's a, a sort of a good energy that comes from it and a positivity which I I thought was I thought it was amazing because that story of how you can take something at that age that could affect you so adversely and then turn it into something positive. Just for this episode, it's worth listening to. It felt like wisdom had just rushed into that hole that that tragedy had left. And uh, it's quite powerful, that. Definitely. I hope that you enjoyed that episode of Three Little Words as much as we did. I absolutely love doing this show with Tony and the guests have been brilliant. Please don't forget to subscribe or follow, recommend us or leave us a review. This podcast was brought to you by our partner, Quorn. Super protein, super tasty. Blindsided? Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. Is winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges that will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million. $200,000. Prepare, because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The Goat, premiering on Freebie and Prime Video on May 9th.